This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. We're resharing a past episode we love featuring Laura Fenton, author of The Little Book of Living Small. In it, she shows us how to adopt a tiny living mindset regardless of the square feet you're in. Enjoy. Hey, Laura, welcome to Good Together. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me on the show. For sure. So uh, we generally like to get started um, by having you um, just do a brief introduction to yourself and sort of... uh, why, um, why you uh, got inspired to write your new book, The Little Book of Living Small. Sure. Well, I have been a writer and an editor for my whole career, um, working in magazines and also a little bit of writing for websites. Um, but this is my first full-length book. And um, it was, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it was many years in the making. Um, way back in 2006, I started writing a personal blog about uh, living in a small space. And um, it's just a topic that's always intrigued me, partly because it's my reality. Um, but as I have become sort of increasingly aware of the climate crisis and how um, our daily choices are tied to sustainability. Um, I realized that you know living small is also a choice that is good for the earth, um, and that has made me even more passionate about it. That's that's amazing, and I feel like um, you know a lot of people are are really drawn to the idea of living in a tiny home. At first, they get drawn in with um, some of these beautiful interiors that we see. Maybe they see um, a show on HGTV or see a beautiful airstream kind of pass them on the road. And then, as they kind of really dive into things, they do start to realize, yes, like tiny living um, is truly uh, a way to express your values, um, and, and have literally a smaller footprint. (laughs) People talk about reducing our footprint all the time, but I really personally feel like tiny living is, is absolutely, um, taking that and and living it to in in a full. (laughs) So, um, Laura, I was curious. Um, so you, you mentioned a little bit about what, how, um, you know, why you got started, um, thinking about tiny living, but I wonder if you can kind of even bring us back a little bit further and, and tell us a little bit more about how you got started on your journey of actually living tiny. You know, I mean, anyone who lives in New York City uh, lives small almost yes. by default. <laughs> For um, sure. And so I, I've lived in a series of small spaces um, 
from like that very first dorm room that I was sharing with three women to today, uh, I live in a pretty small apartment with my family. We're in 690 square feet for three people. Um, it's a one bedroom that we converted into a two bedroom. So when I was younger, living small was partly just a pure product of budget. But as I've gotten older, as my husband and I started a family, um, we really made a conscious decision to live small, to keep our costs low. And it was a way for us to be able to stay in the city that we love. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually had a similar experience when I um, moved out to the Bay Area, which is where we're based now. Um, I got started by living in a, I think it was a five, yeah, it was 500 square feet apartment with my husband and my giant golden retriever. And we previously um, had had been living in a three bedroom home in the Seattle area. And before that, my husband and I are both from Texas. So we're super bit used to living in large spaces. And at first I was very intimidated by the thought of going into a really small space. Um, my husband is also very much a DIY tool person. So we had so many things that we actually ended up having to put in in storage um, just because we didn't have a garage or anything like that. But anyway, as I started to pare things down and really just edit my life, edit my things, and even edit the aesthetic that we were going for in our space, I started to realize that it was it was very freeing, like that having that framework and that discipline to me started to give me more freedom in saying, you know what, like maybe I don't need to acquire um, eight new pillows like I might have had to with a larger home. I can perhaps spend um, a fraction of that money on one really great quality pillow because I've only got room for one on my small bench. <laughs> so for me, I started to see this freedom um, and I thought it was, I just really, really loved it. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me um, of a, a story that I share in the book. Um, before we had kids, shortly after we got married, um, my husband had moved into my apartment, a one bedroom. Um, and we felt that we had really you know, outgrown it, that we were ready for more space. We were thinking you know, about a, a family eventually. And so we decided we were going to sell this apartment that had been my single apartment. And the real estate broker immediately said, oh, this place is it's too full of stuff. It's too cluttered for me to show. Can you... I feel like they always say that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you move some things into storage? And we said, oh, yeah, of course. You know, we know that it's too full. That's why we want to move. So we rented a storage space. We paid a premium for a place that we could walk to from our apartment. And we spent a whole day moving things out to the storage space. And then our broker came back and she looked around and she said, keep going. So we spent another day moving things out. And afterwards, like the apartment felt amazing. It suddenly felt like we had room to breathe and it didn't feel too small at all. Um, and it looked great. And um, of course, you know, she sold it. Um, but New York City, real estate, all of that goes very slowly. It, we ended up having the storage unit for six months. And wow. in six months, we never needed any of the things. That's that right. You didn't even at. walk over there, right? Yes, yeah. we did the same thing. <laughs> and it, um, when it came time for us to finally move and 
get into our new place, we, you know, we open the door up to this room full of boxes and it was, I mean, it was almost a feeling of guilt to say, you know, we don't even know what's in here. We don't have any, you know, feeling about the, what might be inside of these boxes. And um, I would say that was very close to the time that like I first started reading about um, the zero waste movement and really starting to think more deeply about our consumption. Um, so I, I do think there is something freeing about living with less. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. You know, finding, pairing back to the things that you truly love and truly need um, can make your home more meaningful and make it um, a place that you feel more comfortable to be. Yes, I agree 100%. And the other thing I was going to mention was, yes, we did the same thing where we did not even walk back to that storage unit. Or if we did, for us, it was very, very minimal. Like maybe we went two or three times in the course of a year. And I feel like oftentimes people who are used to living in bigger spaces, they have an equivalent of a storage unit in their house, right? They have their attic or their basement or someplace where they've kind of just shoved things out of the way. And what usually ends up happening is you forget what's in there to your point. So then a lot of times you'll buy a duplicate of of what you already had because you, you can't even remember what's in there. And I think, you know, the more we can, as consumers, of course, buy less, that's always the number one tip we give to people on Good Together when somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm ready to live ethically and sustainably. The first thing we say is buy less. But the other thing that's, you know, even harder than that, to be honest, is to be really mindful about what you already have and like taking an inventory, making sure you know where everything is. You don't have to be the most organized person in the world. I think oftentimes people are like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go hire a a home organizer or spend a ton of time or money doing that. But I mean, even if you literally just have like a, an inventory um, sheet of what you've got in your home is, is such an interesting tip to do. And it's something that actually, as we are all um, now facing more time at home because of the ongoing um, COVID-19 crisis at the time of this recording, I feel like that's something that is, you know, potentially an actionable thing people can do if they are bored um, and they, they want something to do. <laughs> yes. And I mean, I think that um, it's also uh, something to think about is about uh, responsibly finding new homes for the things you hope to give away. Yes. Um, that's something I'm still working on all the time is to hopefully find a new life for something that we have, um, you know, grown out of or moved on from. Absolutely. And that that's challenging as well. Um, when we, you know, I actually just took a huge bag of clothing out of my closet, which I had thought that I had pared it down. Um, I did a pretty big closet exercise about a year ago. And then I recently was um, in, a, in a situation where I needed to live out of a suitcase for a few weeks. Um, I was down in LA and realized I was totally fine living out of that suitcase and didn't really need half the things that I thought I did in my closet. So went ahead and and took a bunch of clothing out. And also to your point was trying to think through, yeah, how do I find the best new homes for things, these things as possible. And I feel like I definitely made a pile that I think could, could um, go into like a Poshmark situation. I made another pile that was more like a thread up where, um, you know, I wasn't going to invest the time and resources into taking individual photos of these pieces, but I figured, okay, 
I'll, I'll maybe just send that to ThreadUp. And then the final piece was for donation. And I think a lot of times some people just generally think to donate, but we do have such an excess of clothing and furniture and home goods that are kind of just sitting around. People think that they need to be donated and oftentimes they don't actually even end up in in good homes. Um, One tip that we like to share is like using Craigslist responsibly if that's um, active in your area, which it is most of the time. And um, when I actually think about bringing new things into my home, I, I would say we've got about 50% um, of the items in our home, like uh, the decor and furniture are from Craigslist um, and the other 50% we, we purchase new, but I, I try to find new. Um, we like, my husband and I also like to think of Craigslist as like a, like a, a game a little bit. We, we like to have fun with it. We actually have a beautiful bed frame that we got from, uh, well, we got from Craigslist, but it was originally um, a room and board piece, which if listeners are familiar with room and board, it's crazy expensive. It's beautiful stuff, crazy expensive. Um, Never in my life did I think I would be able to purchase a bed frame from room and board, Um, but we actually found this bed frame on Craigslist. It was almost new. It had been sitting in a guest room from someone down here in the Bay Area, and they literally gave it, I think they let it off their hands, gave it to us for like 200 bucks, which for for that was just such a steal. So we like to like kind of engage our deal hunting um, <laughs> mind too. Yeah. Well, in, in my experience, if you're also trying, if you're moving or you're just getting rid of something because it no longer suits your needs, um, the free section of Craigslist, you can always find someone who is so excited to take your furniture off your hands. Um, another resource that I like our buy nothing groups. Okay. Our hyper local Facebook groups, and they're um, people who are striving to buy nothing. And you can post things that you are um, looking to get rid of. Or also, if you're looking for something specific, you can post your group and say, you know, we're expecting baby number two and we already got rid of the crib. Does anyone? you know, have one that they are looking to find a new home for. Um, so that's another option. Um, if Craigslist is not in your communities to look and see if there is a buy nothing group. That's such a good resource. I love that. Um, we'll definitely try and find a few of those and link to them, um, in the show notes. I feel like that's fascinating. Um, so Laura, I wonder if you can, um, so you've talked a little bit about how you got started living, um, living small. And I wondered if you could share a little bit about what inspired you to actually write your new book, because I feel like, um, writing a book is such a personal decision. Um, it comes from a place of wanting to share knowledge with the world about something you're truly passionate about. So would love to know, yeah, where that inspiration came from, maybe kind of what gave you the, um, the, the, the kick to, to start it as well would be interesting. Um, well, there were a couple factors that played into it. Um, one, I was the lifestyle editor at Parents Magazine for many years. And we ran an article about families living in small spaces, um, which you know I had been thinking about and been passionate about for a long time. But I was pretty surprised when it quickly became one of the best-ranked stories um, we'd run in our home section. And that the fact that it resonated so strongly with um, parents' huge audience um, was like, that was a clue that this was a topic that deserved greater exploration. Um, Another thing that made me want to write my own book was that 
I have a library of books about small spaces, um, many of which I love, but a frustration I had was that they rarely felt relatable to me. A lot of the small spaces that are featured in design books are weekend homes yes. or pied-a-terres or even like a, a guest house or suite. Um, yes, <laughs> I've seen that. And they they just didn't uh, speak to me. Um, there also is sort of a niche of books really related to like the, the true tiny homes, which is also not how most people live. Um, what I was interested in were individuals, couples, and families who were living in spaces that were smaller than most people's and who also had chosen that. Um, of course, there are so many people who live in small spaces out of necessity. And um, for this book, I was really looking for, for people who had said, you know, the, this is a choice that I'm making. So I was hoping to create a kind of a different kind of book. Um, having worked at magazines, I also know all the uh, tricks that magazines employ to produce the beautiful photos that run in their pages. And um, I set a, a goal to make this book like a little more honest. We, um, we didn't bring in stylists and a truckload of props. Um, these homes were photographed really as people live in them. Um, and they, it's a very real look inside of people's homes. Absolutely. I want to, I actually want to um, just, just talk a little bit about that because it's something that I've also thought too. And so, yes, I think that the tiny homes that we often see are not necessarily the ones that people are living in full time. And so it's really encouraging that you saw this, this, um, this hole in the market and wanted to kind of speak from a more authentic place. The other thing that I think is interesting is exactly what you just said around magazines um, and some of even like, you know, blogs and, and things like that, that are truly not even photographing the spaces as they're actually lived in, right? They, they pull everything out or they maybe put in different pieces because they want to feature them in the magazine. And so, yeah, coming about this from a very raw, authentic space is is definitely missing. I feel like in, in the in the overall ecosystem, and you know, I know that you in the book you mention quite a few advantages to living small, and you also mention that you know, for many people, living small is not a choice but a necessity. So, can we talk a little bit about that and kind of what those advantages are to living small, regardless if um, it's you know a choice or a necessity? Like, how can we all benefit from this? Well, I mean, in our current moment, um, the thing that comes first to mind is that a small home will inevitably cost less, whether it's to buy it or to rent it, um, but also to maintain it. Yes. Um, as we are weathering this um, pandemic and the economic um, fallout that is accompanying it, I've been in touch with a lot of the people who are in the book. Um, and, you know, some of them, there's a mom, single mom with two boys whose home we feature this a very small apartment. And when she and I were 
in touch, she said, you know, I'm so grateful that we don't have a big mortgage payment right now. I'm so happy to know that like we can get through this, um, that we have, you know, been frugal in our, our choice of where to live. And it won't negatively um, impact us. And, you know, my husband and I feel the exact same way. We're, we're so grateful that um, we can sustain uh, our home even, you know, during this time of uncertainty. So costs is huge, especially right now. Um, sustainability is number two for sure. We use fewer materials to build smaller homes and to renovate them. We use less energy to heat, cool, and power smaller homes. Um, they are all around a more ecological choice for, you know, many reasons. We could go into the efficiencies of city living versus suburban living, but um, living in a small space is also living more lightly on the earth. Absolutely. Yes. And I think the the point you just made too about financial freedom is something that, you know, we I talked a second ago about like mental freedom <laughs> from not having to be overwhelmed with things or, you know, having a bit more simplicity in your life. But yes, financial freedom is also very key here. And, you know, you're right in the, in the current climate, um, it's very, very, you know, there's a huge necessity in making sure that we can live within our means and, you know, you know, really being proud when we can and, and, and coming up with that type of positivity, I think is really key. Um, you also mentioned, I think, um, in the book, you talk a little bit about how, you know, the tiny homes are also easier to maintain. So of course, like there's less space to, to clean. And actually (laughs) I acutely feel this right now. We, um, when we, we ended up leaving our, um, our small apartment, um, because it was not, in close to our work. Um, so my husband and I now live in Oakland and we do live in a home and it's, it's, it's bigger, um, than that previous apartment. And so I also find myself being like, yeah, I I wish I had less places to clean. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, less to clean. And, you know, I mean, we live in this tiny apartment. Um, but I feel like my, uh, sisters-in-law who both live in, you know, big suburban houses, um, have like spend twice as much time picking up after their kids Um, their kids have a bedroom and a playroom and have acquired enough toys to fill those spaces Um, there's something about you know the more space you have you fill it with things and things need maintenance yes (laughs) Um, so the the forced simplicity um is part of why a smaller home is easier to maintain it's also when you think about maintenance in like the longer term, when you're thinking about renovating or updating, you can often make a choice to go for a higher quality material or you know a, a nicer appliance um, when you're shopping for something that's a smaller quantity, um, which is nice. It means that you can uh, sort of have the luxury, um, while still having less. Absolutely. I I fully agree. I think it's, it's a really great side effect, um, of, of this, this wonderful 
thing that we're calling living, living small, living tiny. So that gets me to our next point, which is regardless if you are maybe let's, let's think about a few different scenarios. So one may be that you're already living small, like you're in a small space or you've, you know, maybe you've even gone the extra mile and actually um, built your own tiny house and are living out and like doing what we all read about. Maybe you're doing that, but probably most of our listeners here are a bit in the middle where they're living in spaces that are probably medium sized, um, but they they have this desire and really yearning to live more simply and and live smaller. So. Uh, I wondered if you could give our audience a few tips that anyone could do um, that are, you know, really in line with your ethos on living small. Um, well, we've been talking a little bit about this, but the idea of living with what you love and editing your home down to those objects that are truly loved and really useful, um, that is something you can do whether your house is 200 square feet or, you know, 4,000 square feet. So taking the time to edit and to declutter is an exercise that any size home it will benefit from. Um, and likewise, what we were just saying about like, if you're, you're renovating or if you're shopping, valuing quality over quantity is, um, I mean, that's, wise advice for anybody, yes. um, but it really is part of like the ethos of living small is really when you are bringing something into your home to make sure that it is the very best, that it's something that will last a lifetime. Absolutely. Um, Returning to those old values, like our, <laughs> our, um, our grandparents and, and people before them, you know, they, they didn't have the, um, you know, the money nor the infrastructure to have all of these disposable, um, poor, poorly made things. So, you know, of course, I always like to think about the old, an old pair of like Levi's, you know, that you, this denim that was made to, to last to these miners, you know, years and years and think about how many pairs of jeans we all have. That one always sticks in my mind. But yes, I mean, you, we, we can also think about like a um, an artisan made um, rocking chair or like an heirloom quality piece of furniture. Like those things last because they're quality, right? So trying to find those things and then really, really giving them love, I think. Finding stylish footwear that's also sustainable isn't easy. Trust me, I've tried. But thanks to Vionic's Beach line, I've officially found a pair of sneakers I never want to take off. Vionic Beach is great for conscious consumers as the shoes feature an eco-friendly outsole, 80% of which is rubber and 20% of which is made from a soybean-based compound. These shoes also feature a canvas fabric made with natural materials. And they're completely vegan certified, so you can rest assured that no animals were harmed in the making of the shoes. Something I also love about the shoes is the fact that they are completely washable. I love going on long walks and hikes around San Francisco where I live, so my shoes are bound to get dirty after a while. It's great knowing that once it's time to give them a good clean, I can toss them into the washing machine and it's completely effortless and they always come out looking and feeling brand new. Comfort is also key when looking for sustainable footwear, and this line delivers support and comfort without sacrificing style. In fact, Vionic is so confident that you love your new kicks that they have a 30-day wear test. That means you can return them for a full refund within 30 days, if you're not satisfied for any reason, even if you've worn them outside. 
Are you ready to step into the world of sustainable footwear? Check out the Vionic Beach line at vionicshoes.com and use the code BRIGHTLY at checkout for free shipping on your order. That's V-I-O-N-I-C-S-H-O-E-S dot com and the code BRIGHTLY for free shipping on your new pair of eco-friendly shoes. And waiting and saving until you can make that investment. I mean, I... um, know that, you know, I, I mean, and I I don't mean to throw shade on the Swedish retailer <laughs> with blue bags, but we, you know, in many instances, um, when I bought something there, um, that, because that was what my budget allowed, um, it wasn't something that held up over time and it might've been better just to wait even if it meant waiting a while and you know maybe sleeping with just your box spring on the floor before you know investing in the bed frame um to not uh go for the quick fix for um, sure and something else that i we, you know we we both touched on off-site storage um that is a tip i would say for anyone like if anybody listening um has a self-storage unit like tackle that first. Um, that auxiliary space, uh, that you're spending money on every month is the first thing you should do to be living a smaller, tinier life. Um, figure out what's in there, figure out what to get rid of, what you can actually fit into your home. Um, but trying to actually, you know, use the space you have in your home and not being spilling over into extra storage space. For sure. And the other way I've heard this mentioned is we talked a little bit about people using attics and basements and things like this as those kind of equivalents. And one really interesting um, way to kind of give yourself a positive reason to get started on this is, you know, think about turning your attic or basement or something into a space that you'd like to spend more time in. So like Maybe that is the quote unquote proverbial man cave. <laughs> Maybe that is the, um, you know, the arts and crafts room that you really have seen on Pinterest and want and have thought, oh, well, I need to move somewhere else to get that. I think, you know, freeing up space and then using it in a smart way can really be a good, um, good motivator to go in there and, and clean things out. Yeah, and I think that that uh, exercise of, you know, dreaming a little is also always valuable. Um, One of the homeowners featured in my book is um, a professional organizer. Her name is Shira Gill. And she thought that she would have to move out of her home to get like the the dream kitchen that she imagined. Um, One day, a, a decorator friend said, well, why don't you just knocked down half that wall between the dining room and the kitchen and paid everything white. You know, like something that uh, an outside point of view said, your, your dream kitchen is here. And <laughs> that's amazing. Right? Like what you're, what you're craving might actually be there within your own space. Um, and yet the statistics on garages that people can't park their cars in because they're filled with stuff. I mean, they're, there's a lot of reasons to tackle those um, places that we we squirrel things away. Yes, and we all know one of those garages. We we all just <laughs> pictured one in our head right now, I believe. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's you know there's also there's a lot of research too about how 
thing, the disorder and um, unfinished projects, these things, they, they weigh on us. Um, the more of them there are in our life, it's sort of, you know, adding to our mental load. So actually bringing order to some of those um, neglected spaces in your home, whether your home is small or large, um, can actually really give you a more positive outlook um, in every part of your life, not just in your day-to-day -day home life. Um, another thing that I is part of my philosophy of living small or living tiny is to be a borrower. Um, I just love to borrow things. I am the most avid library user. Um, when I can, I borrow cake pans from friends, power tools from neighbors. If there's a way that you can get away without buying another thing, um, that is like the most ecological and economical choice that you can make for your home. Absolutely. We're, we're big on this too. Um, we like to use Nextdoor to offer our things and also connect with other people in the neighborhood. Um, I know there's actually a few startups that have tried to make um, apps and things in this space. I can't think of a name of one off the top of my head, but I do know that there's a few. So I, I also think too, just thinking creatively about how you can get connected with these different tools, because like I said, my husband is a, is a, he, he does some woodworking and, um, is, you know, he's very handy, which is great. Um, and that gives him a lot of joy, but that also requires a lot of tools. So we do have a lot of tools in our space. Um, and actually before he buys something now, I always, like, I am always like, can we borrow this? If not, like, is there another use for it other than the one that you want to purchase for? Like we have this whole little thing we chat about, but it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so I kind of want to move into the last few questions we like to ask every guest on Good Together. So the first question is, I wondered if you could share one or two actionable tips that you ha have on living ethically and sustainably. So it doesn't necessarily have to be related to tiny, tiny living. It can be, um, but we, I know we've already covered quite a few. So would love to hear from you on um, those one or two tips. Yeah, I mean, if someone asked me what the, the best thing you could do to live a sustainable, ethical life, I would tell them to register to vote. Yes. To vote <laughs> in every election. Um, it is the single most important thing you can do. Um, your local, state, and national representation, are, they're going to shape the legislation on issues pertaining to the climate crisis, and environmental justice. And, um, you know, I grew up with parents who were so politically active, but it is only really recently um, as an adult and as a mom that I have taken time to volunteer for candidates in a meaningful way. And I, I feel it is you know, our duty to be civically involved and engaged and actively participating in our democracy. So that I think is just number one is to, to be a voter and not just be a voter, but be an engaged voter who knows who's running for office, knows the issues that are at stake in your community. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And I think one thing that's come really 
forefront of my mind recently because of the, you know, the, unfortunately the, the, the pandemic that we find ourselves in is just truly seeing the impact of local governments too. I think, you know, national races and even statewide races get a ton of media time. Um, but I think just even seeing the way that local governments are reacting to the situation that we find ourselves in, um, you know, how they're providing support to, small businesses and to just people in general. I think, you know, if, if something that is happening in your local area, that if, if there's something that you love that's happening in your local area, that's one reason to go out and vote and say, hey, I want these people to stay. Um, the opposite is true too. Like if you're seeing things that you don't really agree with or you feel like they could have been handled differently, you can go vote and help um, get some different people in, in there. So I think it's it's really interesting to think through the actual impact of that vote. Um, yes, for 100% agree with you. <laughs> yeah, and I, a book I would actually recommend is um, Tools for Grassroots Activists. Okay. Uh, this book really had a big impact on me um, because it, it forced you to think about um, who do you need to influence if you want to bring about change? Um, and that oftentimes it, it is just one or two people whose minds need to be swayed, say perhaps your, your senator or your congressperson um, or your governor. It is um, often more effective to focus and target efforts on the people with the power than on you know, demonstrations to, to raise public awareness. Um, so I, that's a book that really um, deeply impacted how I think about uh, my activism, and I totally recommend. That's um, great. And then in like the everyday, you know, we we also vote with our dollars, and you know now more than ever, like every dollar that you spend is a vote for that particular business, and um, we're seeing right now you know, how fragile a lot of small businesses are. Um, they, they don't have big reserves of cash, uh, like some, you know, multinational corporations do yep. to, to weather difficult times. So uh, I am always thinking about every purchase I make, even when it's inconvenient and more expensive. Um, I'd rather spend my money in places that I feel good about and buy fewer things and have fewer luxuries knowing that they're, you know, ones that I feel excited about. I mean, books are one example. My book is coming out in just a few days and I always try to buy my books from independent booksellers. Um, the big, you know, Amazons of the world are not, um, they're not serving our communities. The money you spend um, with them is not helping your neighbors and you know the people who immediately surround you. And I know that like the, the siren song of free shipping and it coming in you know less than forty eight hours is is so tempting. Um, but it's worthwhile to disrupt the habits you've, you know, formed shopping online and to start to think about how to 
spend the money uh, right where you live. Absolutely. And I actually used to work for Amazon back in the day. And I, um, every day I think about sort of what, what my impact was there and, um, you know, really how Amazon is actively impacting the, the world around us. And to your point, you know, I, I do think that supporting smaller businesses supporting, um, you know, areas that you believe in strongly are just really one of the, one of the core values that we have here at good together. So that, that kind of leads me to, um, our last, our last two questions. So one is what is your favorite ethical brand or product and why along with that, um, theme of voting with your dollar? You know, this one, I don't have a particular product that I am super passionate about. Um, I'm not a big shopper, but, what I am really passionate about, um, you know, besides making do with what you have is shopping secondhand. Um, I buy everything secondhand. I always look to see if I can get something secondhand first. And, um, you know, it's to the point of eccentricity, but, you know, I buy pajamas for my kid on eBay. I have a coffee maker from the 1980s that was picked up at a yard sale if it's possible to buy it secondhand, I will. Um, I, I love that. That that is so. I that is the best thing I've heard. I mean, I really think that having somebody that's passionate about that is just great. Do you do you get your do your friends call you to ask you questions about this? I feel like you're you're the one in the group that has all the tips. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that some of it is like a skill over time, but I think a lot of my friends think I'm just strange. Um, <laughs> you know, they, and, and my husband, like, thankfully is in the same boat as me, but, um, it's, uh, I like to the, the feeling of buying something from another person. Um, yes. I figure that if a mom is selling her Hannah Anderson jammies on eBay, she needs the 20 bucks. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm happy to be putting it in her pocket. Um, I love the thrill of discovery of, you know, looking in thrift stores and flea markets and antique shops and finding things that are one of a kind. Um, and, you know, buying something that's had a life before, um, an object that has like a little history and a little patina of life to it really, uh, that, that for me is joy making. Um, so, and and I'm, I'm the absolute extreme and I'm, I'm the person who bought a used crib mattress, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I really think that there's a, a kind of a renaissance happening too, where people who might not have considered shopping secondhand are, there's so many resources you mentioned Poshmark before and ThreadUp. Um, there are dozens of startups that are selling things secondhand online and people who might have been intimidated beforehand about you know going into like a, a thrift store are happy if they can look at you know high-res photos online and see that someone has quality checked something you know and that it's been professionally cleaned before they purchased it so there's there's a lot of ways to live a secondhand life for sure. And you're right there, there it's becoming so much easier. There's ways to do it that fit with your comfort level and your budget across the, across the gamut. So I think it's just such a great time. All right. So last question, Laura, um, you know, we've talked about so many different things in the context of the ethical and sustainable movement. Um, but I wondered if you could share 
what excites you the most about people who are choosing to live ethically and sustainably right now? Well, it, I mean, it's, it is a hard time to be excited right now. Yes. Um, about anything, right? Yeah. Well, and the, the news related to coronavirus is, um, you know, it's all consuming. It has pulled all of our attention just to trying to, to flatten the curve and help people in this time. But um, one thing that has come out of it that is a little bit hopeful is seeing how quickly people can change their behavior um, when there is this sense of catastrophe unfolding. Um, and I feel like if more people begin to understand the urgency of the climate crisis, um, we can make the big changes that we need to make um, to you know, ensure that there's a habitable planet for our children. Um, and I think people are really starting to see the connections between it all, that it's not just, uh, you know, quote, saving the earth over in this one corner, but that it's, it's tied into our politics and our economy. And so much of this is just sort of intertwined and, and seeing that and seeing how uh, cause and reaction happens and how it relates to climate. I think every day more and more people are having those realizations. Um, yes, I agree with you 100%. I think, you know, A, it's extremely hard to get excited about anything right now. I mean, we are in an unprecedented time for the world and it's, you know, kind of taking all of anyone can do to just get out of bed and be a semi-functioning human being every day. But I, I do, I also find um, a bright spot in understanding the impact that people are having by making these personal choices and really understanding that if we come together, we can make a huge difference. And I, you know, I really appreciate you calling that out because I think, yeah, it, it can be hard to find the positivity um, in, in a time like this, but it, it truly, to me, is, is going to be really interesting to, to see how consumer behavior changes after this. So like, maybe we will see people who are more excited about shopping locally, um, even more than they were previously, right? Like people used to say shop small by small, and then they probably do a little bit of that and then go spend a ton of money on some of these online retailers. But, you know, maybe now we're, we're actually going to put our money where our mouth is. So that's, that's exciting. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that um, there there's a lot of energy um, in the world of environmental activism um, that you know wasn't there two years ago, and that that is another great spot too. Seeing people really wanting to to be activists, um, the many groups that have emerged, um, the, they, that gives me hope too that there are. There are a lot of people who care and who are working every day um, to hopefully bring about change that will have a positive impact. And, Absolutely. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with yes. us at Good Together about all things small living. Um, and so.
Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.